Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. We're a podcast dedicated to uncovering the grit that make founders, entrepreneurs, and innovative thinkers tick in one of the most crucial industries on the planet, supply chain. To learn more, you can check us out at InsideTheFounderStudio.com. But for now, I'll hand it to our host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio. This is a brand new podcast I'm doing with Ryan Schreiber, and our goal is to interview a whole bunch of founders and impact players and executives in transportation and logistics and supply chain, technology, fulfillment, e-com, all those things. Today, we're talking to Will Chu from Vector. Welcome, Will. Hey, good to be here. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. This is excellent. I'm really looking forward to this. So, Will, please introduce yourself and your company. Well, I'm Will Chu, the CEO and co-founder of Vector. Started the company in late 2014, early 2015, and we're building software to help the logistics industry collaborate and communicate. The fun fact is I'm an engineer by trade, and I was one of the only and first engineers to build the platform. Really excited about that, but fast forward to today. I would say there's not much of my work that remains in, in our code base, which is a great thing. So where are you guys located? Uh, San Francisco. Nice, nice. Where did you grow up and where did you go to school? I grew up in Fremont, California. I went to school pretty close by at UC Berkeley. How far away is Fremont from San Francisco? Oh, it's about 40 miles. Okay, so you're not too far from home. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Very nice. No, so you mentioned that you serve transportation logistics. You're trying to help who? Who do you serve in that space? We serve carriers. We serve shippers, retailers, and 3PLs. But you're not a traditional transportation management system. You're something a little different. So talk about that. Yeah. So we are a platform that helps everyone communicate, that ecosystem. And a lot of it centers around the bill of lading and all the processes around that. When you think of the bill of lading, it's the baton that gets handed off. It's the shipper, the carrier to the retailer, back to the carrier, and then back to the customer in order to get paid. And it's a piece of paper, believe it or not, usually, (laughs) until you guys got here. Yeah, and so we see an opportunity to digitize that process. And looking at it pretty clearly and simply, there's a lot of efficiency and visibility gains when you can move that process to a digital one. You're no longer relying on that physical baton handoff, but you're allowing everyone to collaborate at the same time. Right. And in the COVID era, which we're still in, we're all trying to do contactless. So I don't want to come over and hand you a piece of paper. (laughs) Yeah, that's correct. So you guys are in San Francisco. And let me ask what you said. You started in 2014, 2015? Yep. Nice. So before we get into the rest of Vector, I want to learn a little bit about you. So where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Fremont. That was pretty close to home, or sorry, close to where I went to school at Cal, where I studied computer science and met, you know, many good friends and got the opportunity to play lacrosse in college too, which is really cool. Oh, wow. So you must have been pretty good. So tell me about your childhood. I was just talking about Jason Traff. He's Chinese. And I said, did you have a tiger mom? He said, yes, he did. And I asked you just now and you said, no, not so much. So elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, I had a pretty cool and unique childhood. You know, my mom immigrated here in the 70s to escape the Cultural Revolution and what was happening in China. And so when she got here, you know, language was a big barrier. And so what she excelled at was math. It was really cool. She got the opportunity to study computer science at Berkeley. Oh, so you're following in mom's footsteps. 
Yeah. She was a trailblazer. She blazed a path for me. What was great, you know, she never really pushed me or was that kind of stereotypical tiger mom. She was a single mom, so she definitely had to work full time. And, you know, my brother and I had to figure out a lot of things for ourselves and we became pretty independent. It worked. Whatever mom did, it worked. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, she's set the good example. And I guess there's more than one way to uh, have your children succeed. Obviously, your mom your mom was successful at that. So you grew up playing sports, you said? You played lacrosse. What else you play? I swam. I still swim. And I ran. Oh, so you were quite the athlete. I think that's going to be a, a consistent trend. The first three podcasts we've done, the people have talked a lot about playing sports as kids. And I think I played sports as a kid. I loved it. And it's funny because as a little kid, I remember kind of having to be pushed into it a little bit. But I think of some of the teams that I was on, it's some of my best memories as a kid. So did you work a lot when you were a kid? I didn't work a lot. Definitely focused on school and academics, but in the summer, I worked. So when I was 16... That's when I started working. So then you went off to Berkeley. You got that computer science degree. What was your first job out of school? Or what did you have any notable internships that we should know about? Well, I worked all through school on campus during the school year. In computer science? Yeah, well, I wasn't that skilled at the time, but <laughs> I was in the IT department moving bits around and helping professors set up their stuff. So it was a nice, cushy job. I was lucky in that. So what was your first job out of Berkeley? That's a great question. I actually got the opportunity to work at Sony Pictures Animation in Culver City, California. How far away is that from where you're at? It's about 300 miles. It's, it's in LA. Oh, so you had to move. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't too big of a move. Still in California. 300 miles is like three states over here in the Midwest. So, (laughs) (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your uh, experience at Sony. It was great. I got to work on films like the Polar Express, Spider-Man 2 and 3, Surf's Up. So, yeah, pretty cool. And now you've got kids of your own. How old are they? Yep. I have two kids, four and six years old. Do you point out that you worked on those when your kids are watching them? I do. Some of those films aren't appropriate for their age. They get scared easily, but Polar Express, they definitely enjoy watching. Someday you can point out what you did. So after you were at Sony, what was next? Well, after Sony, I worked at a few big internet companies, including Yahoo. Oh, nice. Yeah. After that, I started a company called Adapar. I never thought I'd say this, but you're dating yourself when you say you worked at Yahoo as a search company now. And I was was telling my mom about, I still have a Yahoo account, so I use Rocket Mail. I love it. I can't get away from it. I was telling my mother, who's in her 80s, that I still have a Yahoo account. And she's like, what's wrong with that? I was like, well, nothing if you're 80. So tell us about Adapar. Yeah, it's a financial wealth management platform. It started as a reaction really to the 2008 uh, financial crisis. We saw an opportunity to bring more transparency into how people's monies were being managed. You know, 2008, you had the Madoff scandal, right? People didn't really understand how their assets were being managed and that they were part of this giant Ponzi scheme. The real reason behind that is because financial advisors, they typically would hand you a PDF or just a piece of paper showing you your performance, what you owned, And so we saw an opportunity to connect directly into the custodians to provide transparency in how your assets were being managed. So there wasn't like a human translation layer. It was directly into the banks that housed your assets. Who'd you start that company with? I started that with some of my co-founders here at Vector. One of them is here with me, Darren Chan, who is the designer and co-founder here. And then Brian Belcher, who is our COO here at Vector. 
Some of the Adipar team came to Vector, and from what I heard from Francis, your marketing guy, there's kind of a Adipar mafia growing, just like the PayPal mafia. So Adipar must have done really well. <laughs> so tell us about your success over there. It's still very much a growing company. I think they have over now $3 trillion of assets under management. You know, it's like a 1,000 employees. Whoa. So were you one of the founders? I was their first hire and I led engineering. Very nice. Very nice. So it is still booming. And so you rode the rocket ship for a while, huh? Yeah. And then you and some of your coworkers decided, hey, there's another opportunity. What hole did you see in the market that you wanted to fix? Yeah. So after five years at Adapar, one of my good friends actually runs a trekking company in Oroville, California. And it was a thing where he was taking over the family business, right? His dad was the owner and started it and was passing it on to his son. And his son was really excited and wanted to bring technology in and thought that could help drive some operational efficiency. And he just really just wanted my take on how they could do that. And, you know, of course, coming from Adapar and having that kind of fintech finance background, one of the areas that he wanted me to take a look at was around his billings, right? The finances of his company. And we saw that the bill of lading, the proof of delivery process was an impediment to them getting paid. It took a long time for drivers to turn in their paperwork. It took a long time for the back office team to process the paperwork. And it also took a long time for their customers to pay them. So we saw an opportunity to streamline that process and introduce a digital process. And that's where we really kicked off our company from. So you have customers who are carriers and also shippers. Who do you usually sell to? Which group? Carriers or shippers or 3PLs? All three. You know, we have Fortune 50 companies on our platform and we have two truck fleets on our platform and we work with. Yeah, you have some of the industry heavyweights working with you guys. I don't know if you can mention, but when we were prepping, I was very surprised and happy for you guys because who you're working with. So if I'm using vector instead of the traditional BOL. So how does that work? Mm. So we're not replacing the traditional BOL. We are providing a digital version of that traditional BOL. So on the shipper side, shippers can upload and send a digital version of the PDF to the drivers picking up their freight. And that's becoming very important now, right? Instead of a driver going into a welcome center waiting in line, signing the bill, waiting as a proof of shipment on pickup, they're able to do that in the comfort of their cab. They can send their cab, get the bill waiting, they can zoom in, see it, and they can sign for it. And if there's any discrepancies, they can communicate on Vector around those issues or exceptions as well. Yep. And I think also, you know, this is not everywhere, but some places, if you're the driver, you got to walk across the factory or big distribution center, go find that front office to get paperwork And sometimes, I heard this not so long ago, people walking through factories without glasses, without helmet, maybe, hard hat, sparks are flying sometimes. And, you you know, these guys can slip and fall in grease. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that can happen in that long walk while you're looking for the person who's supposed to hand you a piece of paper. No reason for it, especially in this day and age. So that's fantastic. So continue the rest of the process. If you're handed a physical bill of lading, you can use our app to scan it. So using the camera on your telematics device, on your mobile phone or tablet, we're able to, you know, at any angle, scan, de-skew, enhance the image, make it look like the original PDF that was sent to you, 
and then have it be sent back to your customer and back to your home office for the carrier. Very slick. So is this overall save money or not necessarily, or is it just improve the process? No, we uh, have been able to increase the cash flow for trucking companies, right? We have been able to help shippers recognize revenue faster because in many times they can't recognize the revenue until it's actually delivered. But in this case, that baton handoff, you're not waiting for that baton physically to come back. You're getting it digitally so you can recognize the revenue right away. I just interviewed my buddy, Eric Moline, on my podcast, and he works for Baton IO, the company out out your way. So you <laughs> keep mentioning Baton. So that's fantastic. You guys are booming. When you founded this, did you guys go right away to venture capital or did you kind of bootstrap it for a while? How'd that work out? Yeah, that's a cool story. So we bootstrapped it. We seeded it ourselves with our own money and then our friends and family. Our friends and family in this case was all our executives at Adapar, which was cool. Very nice. So you weren't like dragged out kicking and screaming. It was a celebration when you left. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to have to ask them. But I, yeah, I think it was a good thing. Well, they wouldn't have invested in you if they didn't think highly of you. We were talking when we were prepping how sad it is sometimes when you see like somebody founds a company or they're one of the key exec early people and then they leave and it's just heartbreaking. Like when Steve Jobs left Apple, you're like, that should never happen. I mean, he did well by it, but it always seems wrong. It was a good move for you. And when you left Adapar to come to create Vector, were you just looking really to get back in that startup environment? What was your thinking? I mean, you could have just stayed on the rocket ship. Yeah. I think what my co-founders, Darren and Brian, and I really like doing is building. And we love working on hard problems. We love working with people and getting to interface with customers. We just love that whole process. I think we, in some ways, we kind of get a high from doing it. You know, I think it's the satisfaction of delivering something that a person or a company never had and being able to transform or add value, that's a cool feeling. So one of the things that Ryan and I talked about when we were getting going on this podcast was we wanted to understand how do people like yourself handle failure or rejection or setbacks? We just want to understand that mindset. So talk about some challenge or setback you might have had, whether it's personal or professional, and how you managed through it. Well, I think... You may have to ask my wife because that was a setback early on, but got no. past that. It's a setback for her, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think that anytime you're doing something new and hard and, and risky, you're going to have setbacks. But whether you choose or you let them be a setback, that's up to you. And I think it's probably something you've heard time and again. It's how you view that setback and if you really let it own you or if you try to have it help you grow. If you learn from it, it's not going to be a setback. It's not going to be a failure. One of the things that made Silicon Valley and San Francisco and that whole area so successful is you never find anybody looking to fix things incrementally. They're looking to transform a business, transform a space. And I think there's an expectation that, hey, this is really hard. We might fail. But we're going to go out guns a-blazing. We're going to do the very best we can. So in a lot of ways, failure is part of the expectation that you're going to stumble and fall a little bit. And if you should ultimately succeed like you guys have, those stumbles along the way weren't fatal. They were just ways that you learned and had to adapt. Yeah. You know, I'm teaching my daughter how to ride her bike. And I tell her, I'm like, you're going to fall. You're going to have bruises. You're going to bleed. 
but it's part of the process. This is what it takes. And I think it's very much the same for starting a company. Yeah, and I say this all the time, but I think this is what you learn playing sports. You win sometimes, you lose sometimes, you're always practicing, you never stop. It's just go, go, go. You really don't have time to think about, I blew that or the team didn't play as well as we should have. But we got another game to get ready for. You really can never look back too long except for, you know, what can we learn? And I think that's maybe the advantage of getting kids part of organized sports or plays or music or whatever they're going to do. So I listen to this guy, Roz, has that podcast, How I Built This. You ever listen? Excellent. He always asks the question, were you lucky or good? I always think there's people are kind of both. So talk about a time when you felt like, hey, I was lucky. And talk about another time like you thought maybe I was prepared for this. Hmm. You know, I think the ELD mandate helped accelerate our growth, right? Because now in trucks, there's a platform that we can deploy software on. And that wouldn't have existed 10 years ago. Cell phone adoption. Again, most people do have cell phones. There's definitely flip phones out there. and We work with those carriers and, and drivers as well. Those are things that are somewhat out of your control, but you can recognize where the trend is and, and try to skate where the puck's going to be. And so I would say that in some cases, we were lucky with the ELD mandate and cell phone adoption. But you also saw some of that coming, I suspect, the continued digitalization of the space. And it is interesting because I just did a podcast where we were talking about the ELD mandate for Truck X. Same thing. As soon as the ELD mandate hit, he said, all of a sudden, there's technology and an expectation of more technology in the trucks, where for so long, it really wasn't an expectation. And now it all of a sudden is. So talk a little bit about what you think is next for the industry and also what you think is next for your business. Yeah. In general, I think there's going to be increased digitalization of workflows. And I think that companies are trying to figure out how to collaborate much better. Interoperability is a thing that we hear constantly. Logistics is very much a team effort, right? It's a team sport. <laughs> yeah. You got the shipper, carrier, 3PL receiver, and they all got to communicate and work together. And there's a lot of tools that can help that collaboration. And it's figuring out how to integrate tools into the actual real world workflows for these companies. So you think about like what, you know, the pandemic has really forced us to all figure out how to work remotely from home, distributed workplaces for those of us that are fortunate. And so when you think about that and tools like Slack or Zoom have done, right? There aren't those tools yet, or they're still nascent in the logistics industry, but yet communication is key, that baton handoff. The more you can do to streamline that, the better. So I think that's where we see the trend or the demand going to be. So we're going to get more digital and trucking, but where do you see your company fitting in that space? Yeah, we see ourselves as allowing companies to maintain their business processes Right. They have, you know, their own processes around pickup and delivery. And we're not looking to change that, but really augmenting that process and allowing them to customize our platform in order to fit their needs to be able to communicate out to their broader partner network, whether it be their vendors, their carriers, the receivers, whoever it needs to get to. You know, it's interesting when we look at uh, streamlining the buying process for buying the truck or the small parcel, whatever, we streamlined all that. You pick up kind of where the buying began, right? So you're streamlining the other side of it from the time that I've picked that carrier to the time 
they get paid. So most of us spend a lot of time on the upfront piece, which is how do shippers buy? And how do I encourage them to buy through my digital marketplace or through my digital freight brokerage or my old school freight brokerage? You're on the other side of it saying, hey, I don't care who wins, (laughs) who wins the business. We're going to be the guys who streamline the process. When do you consider your process beginning over at Vector? Well, that's really up to our customer. It could begin as soon as the shipper wanting to procure freight or as soon as when a driver checks into a facility for the first time. Are you being used for LTL or truckload more? We are being primarily used for truckload more, but YRC is one of our customers. Oh, wow. (laughs) Nicely done. I guess once you have one, you're going to get the others. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. We have a number of other large LTL customers on our platform as well. Now, there's no need for this type of service in small parcel, right? They kind of have their own way of doing things, right? It's interesting enough, you know, FedEx Ground is also one of our large customers. And You've got some blue chip customers over there. Congratulations. Not so much on the small parcel side, though, right? No need for your service because the small parcel doesn't have the BOLs like we do on the other side of the house. Correct. But when they do aggregate all the small parcels to go point to point, that's where we come in. Oh, that's right. That makes sense. Good stuff. Good stuff. So Ryan always says to me that he thinks that we all have imposter syndrome. Do you feel like you have imposter syndrome? You know what I mean by that? Do you ever feel like, how have I succeeded like I have, that somehow it don't feel it inside as much as maybe it happens externally? Yeah, I would say that myself and our team, we're, we're grateful for the opportunities that we're given. And we definitely pinch ourselves, not only to work with our customers that we get to work with, but really honestly with each other. And so there is definitely a little bit of that, but I would say that we also just keep each other in check and recognize and we give credit to where it's due, like reinforce our hard work with each other, right? We definitely recognize that. You keep grounded because your coworkers keep you grounded. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. You can't come in being Mr. Big Stuff one day because they'll call you on it, huh? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Exactly. (laughs) There's something to be said for having friends who will call you out. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on your success. So tell us again a little bit about who you serve. If somebody's interested in talking to you, how do they go about talking to you? That's a great question. So we serve the logistics industry. We serve shippers, carriers, 3PLs, and receivers, helping them collaborate and helping them communicate uh, around pickup and deliveries. And one of our core areas of focus is bill of ladings and e-bill of ladings or digital bill of ladings. But that process is more than just bill of ladings, right? It's facilitating a digital check-in at a facility. It's verifying the trailer seal. So we're working on a task force put together by the Consumer Brands Association, CSCMP, GS1, and a number of companies there, including Coca-Cola, Clorox, Home Depot, on creating a standard for collaboration. Because at the end of the day, companies need to be able to exchange information. And if it's not standardized, it's somewhat difficult. So we're also working with other technology companies as well to making sure that there's interoperability. You know, whether it be a YMS like Pink or a visibility platform like P44, we were trying to really build a consortium of companies that are going to work together and collaborate. So that's our core focus right now. That's interesting because you mentioned Coca-Cola and other brands. I think truck seals are super important. And, you know, I know we're getting a lot more technology on the truck itself with cameras and other things. And I keep thinking food safety is a huge concern always. We just had the overhaul of the Food Safety Modernization Act. We need the technologies to enable it. 
and I know we get the temperature sensors. We've always had some temperature sensors, but we're getting better at the temperature sensors. And I know we're getting better at, like, if doors were open, we have those kind of sensors. I think it's really important to be able to say, we have a chain of custody when it comes to food or maybe even laptops or whatever. There's a lot of expensive stuff moving. It's nice to say, here's the standard that we're all using to ensure security for these assets, whether it's food or no matter what you're shipping, it's important to somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Whether it be cardboard or disinfectant wipes. Right, right. So let me ask, I did not ask, did you guys grow a lot during the pandemic? We did. It really came from a, a need on the shipper side to facilitate contactless pickup and delivery. I bet that sounded pretty good when you said we can do contactless, <laughs> no more BOL, nobody walking around. I imagine if you're a trucking company, you're like, hell yes, give us that. We don't want all that. Yeah, I would say that. Honestly, like, there's a little bit of hesitation, especially from drivers that may not be as tech forward. But after they use it and try it, and they're starting to realize, like, wow, I can actually get in and out of the facility twice as fast because I don't have to wait in line and I can just do this from my phone and I don't have to get out of the cab and walk back and forth between the Welcome Center 10 times. We're seeing dramatic decreases in in and out times and they're loving it. It saves them time, it gets them back home sooner, allows them to put more miles on the road. So they're seeing a clear benefit, yeah. And if the carriers can get paid faster and it eases all that proof of delivery and as soon as it delivered, everybody knows it because it's done electronically. Because I think we had these standards for a long time as delivered, proof of delivery will be ready tomorrow. Why does it take 12 hours, right? It, it's, it makes sense. I'm glad you're streamlining the process. So you work with shippers, you work with carriers, you work with brokers, 3PLs, everybody, right? And you're streamlining that process where the rest of the industry did not streamline. So congratulations. So Will, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile so people can reach out directly to you and put a link to your company, Vector. Is it Vector.com or Vector AI or what is it? It's uh, withvector.com. Oh, withvector.com. Okay, sounds good. Well, Will, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Hey, Joe, thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Again, your continued support's very much appreciated. Until next time, Onward and Upward. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Founder Studio. A couple quick things before you go. We're proudly hosted on the Logistics of Logistics Network. To hear more content from the industry's top leaders in supply chain and logistics, check out thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And until next time, onward and upward.